Hi guys. Hey ladies. Awesome. Well, if I haven't met you, my name's Evan. Oh, so sweet to be alive. What a gift, you know, and to be surrounded by people that want to set aside time to worship God and to learn about Him. Even though it's only an hour, it's just such a beautiful way to kind of reset or realign our perceptions on what's true and what's real. Uh, just kind of with that in mind, let's just take a moment. I'm going to pray if you want to join me. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you would. God, uh, we are here because we believe in you. Um, we wonder more about you and we desire to live our life in more, more in accordance with what you want for us. I ask that you would grant us truth. You are the source of what is real. Uh, we come to you and you alone. So over the last two, two, three weeks, I guess two weeks, this is the third week we've been looking at Abraham. Um, and through his story, we see the way that God pursues an individual. You know, I talked about this the last couple of weeks, but the beauty, the main, like the true beauty of the Bible is that it shows accounts of a God that does not change interacting with humanity. So if a God does not change the way that he interacts with Abraham means it's the way that he interacts with us. I understand the form changes depending on our circumstances and the way he does it, but he does not change. So well, the insights we can get from the Bible, from the Old Testament, can be so profound and so applicable to our lives. And so as we go through this, just remember, we're looking at a God that does not change. You know, in the two different stories that we looked at with Abraham, we see him interact in two different ways. The first one, he calls Abraham to a better life. Uh, in Genesis 12, we see God step into his life, promising him remarkable things, if he's willing to trust him. Abraham obeys the first calling and leaves everything behind to go into an unknown land. The second way that we looked at him, at God interacting with Abraham, was in chapter 15, where God directly speaks to Abraham's deepest needs, so that way Abraham has a chance to truly trust God. Out of that trust... God steps into Abraham's soul, reckoning him, reckoning him righteous, redeeming the deepest parts of who he is. Through this redemption, Abraham is no longer held to the consequences of not living a perfect life. The purity of his soul is secure. That means that every sin, past, present, and future is totally forgiven for that man. You know, he has the ability and the confidence to interact with his creator now and then in inter into eternity. You know, his name is written in the book of life and he will spend forever with God. It seems at this point that God should kind of stop dealing with Abraham and kind of move on to another lost soul, right? They'll have eternity to spend together. Why does God need to waste any more time on Abraham? His soul is secure. But the reality is that God is a God of the present, Abraham's present, our present, and he desires to mold a person back to their original intention. Think about that for a moment. What God's original intention was for you, for your mind, for your emotions, the way you interact with people around you. God desires to shape us back into the image that we were created in, right? We were created in the image of God. 
You know, in order to be molded into the person you're intended to be, you have to trust God above all else. So let's take a little time reading the Bible. It's a nice, lighthearted, easygoing story. Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Genesis 22. So we're going to read a majority of it just so that way you can understand the context out of which this is coming. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The wood and the, excuse me, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. It's an intense account. You got to think, remember that Abraham was a real man with similar emotions, similar mind as you and I. Different culture, different time frame, but man, he was human. So what I want to do is kind of analyze this this account. And as we go through it, we'll just kind of ping pong back and forth between Abraham and ourselves. But I think what we need to do is ask some questions first. And this should be the first question that comes to anybody's mind. Why would God want someone to kill their own son? You know, right off the bat, we see that God has a specific intention in commanding Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. So the first verse, Genesis 22, 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. So God's desire was to test Abraham. Not to harm Isaac, not to scare them, but to test. You know, defined in the Hebrew, it means a, to attempt to learn the true nature of something. So what did God desire to learn about Abraham? You know, I think he desired... for to know who Abraham trusted more. Did he trust God or Isaac more? You know, Isaac was of extremely high importance to Abraham. Most likely Abraham had fatherly love for his son, which is a deep affection that most of us can't even really express. But Isaac means more to Abraham than that. Isaac is the way through which Abraham's family will continue. 
He is his only son. Isaac represented the future of Abraham's clan. But it's even more than that. Isaac was the one through whom God's promise would come to fruition. He was the birth of a nation that would be more numerous than the stars, a nation through which the entire earth would be blessed according to God's promise. You know, Abraham had waited a long time for Isaac. We're talking decades and decades of waiting, trusting that God would fulfill his promise. After Isaac's miraculous birth, it's easy to imagine Abraham's heart being filled with joy, right? Who wouldn't be overjoyed by that? But you can also sense that he would begin to trust in Isaac as the one that would make his name be great and bring his family prosperity. You know, it seems that God may have been looking to see where Abraham's trust lie, with his creator or in his only son, Isaac. You know, we're, the, we're, we're very similar to this. We live in a world full of blessings, right? We are surrounded by so many good things, right? Whether it's in the area of community, think about your family and your friends, people that you just love to have in your life, or the things that provide us opportunity, your intellect and your skills. Think about what that brings to your life, the way your mind works and what you're able to do, your education and your job, your physical health, tangible things, things that we spend money on, your house, your toys. We all have toys, so many fun toys, entertainment, vacations. Take a moment to think about the good things in your life that you enjoy, that you see as crucial to your life being good. I'm guessing you're thinking of some good things, right? Enough to kind of make you smile a bit. But it's so easy to forget that these are gifts. We begin to view them as the source of what is good in our lives. We believe that our family and friends are what give us lasting contentment. That our education and our jobs give us genuine purpose. That the tangible things that we have provide us with true joy. You know, these people and things are good. Some of them are so good. But we forget that they are temporary and flawed. Instead of seeing them as gifts given to us by the creator of all things to enrich our lives, which they do, we view them as necessities. Things that we cannot live without. I know that one kind of hits a little bit home when you start thinking about certain things in your life that if they were removed, how that would feel. You know, from this approach, seeing these things as necessities, an easy but disastrous shift can occur. Instead of trusting in God for what we genuinely desire, which is contentment and purpose, we look to these things and these people to be our ultimate providers. Let's go back to Abraham. You know, often the the best way to determine the true nature of something is by putting it into a difficult situation. In the midst of hardship or a tough choice, you're able to figure out where a person's true convictions lie. So God commands Abraham to offer Isaac up as a sacrifice. So Genesis 22, 1 and 2. Here, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. 
you know, the, uh, the way that the text is written, it seems like Abraham immediately decides to obey God. But with a little thought, we can see that it most likely wasn't an easy decision for him. You know, the text says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. That means that God most likely spoke to him that night. So think about what that night was like for Abraham. What kind of wrestling match mentally, emotionally, spiritually he must have gone through. You know, it's not hard to imagine how difficult this command would have been for a father. So think about how hard that must have been for Abraham. The anguish of losing a son or disobeying a God who had given him so much and promised him so much more. You know, A.W. Tozer put it this way, the sacred writer spares us a close-up of the agony that night on the slopes near Beersheba where the aged man headed out with his God. But respectful imagination may view in awe the bent form and the convulsive wrestling alone under the stars. Possibly not until a greater than Abraham wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, did such mortal pain visit a human soul. You know, I got, there's a a chapter from one of his books, and I printed off 15 copies of it on the back table there. It's called The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. So if this message at all kind of sparks an interest in you, I'd encourage you to go and take it. You know, God puts us in similar situations to test the true nature of our heart. Very rarely, if ever, are we put in the same intense situations as Abraham. But we are given opportunities to choose to trust him or to trust the good things we've been given. You know, it's few and far between, but we are given sometimes major decisions. God calls you to quit your job. God calls you to give away a large amount of money. God calls you to sell or give away one of your toys, boat motorcycle, or cancel a vacation. This one doesn't sound as intense, but it is. God calls you to tell somebody that you have forgiven them, even though it makes zero sense to do that. Or God allows you to go through a major hardship. He is in control of all things, so the hardships we go through, he allows us to go through, whether that's a sickness, an injury, loss of a job. You know, in these moments, we, like Abraham, go through the valley of the soul, a time when one is forced to either trust in God or reject his authority. There's like no other way to go when you're in those situations. But those are few and far between, fortunately. But there are smaller decisions that we make day after day after day. I'll give you some examples. God calls you to pull away from social media. God calls you to spend less time working. God calls you to love your kid more than pushing them to be better. God calls you to push out of your comfort zone and go say something to someone. God calls you to drink less alcohol. Right? And the list goes on and on. You know, when I say God calls you, it's most, not, most likely not a booming voice from heaven. We don't even know if Abraham got to communicate with God in this way. For believers this side of the cross, we have the spirit within us, and he works in our minds and our emotions. He puts thoughts in there, and he pushes us emotionally in certain ways. You know, let me give you a couple examples just to maybe make this a little bit more real from my life. So in recent time, 
you know, I, I tumbled down a rocky cliff face a year and a half ago and had uh, a decent amount of time to recover. And early on in my recovery, the phrase slow to speak came to my mind. We're talking just a couple weeks afterwards. I was sitting alone in a rehab hospital. Slow to speak just came. And that's, that phrase has stuck with me over the last year and a half. Like so much so that I got it tattooed on my forearm. Because it was like, all right, God does not want me to forget this. And early on, it was so my brain could have the time to slow down and recover. But now, it's God reprogramming my mind so that way I'm less interested in myself and my reactions to people and I'm more interested in slowing down and waiting for the Spirit to show me how to respond. Right? So instead of trusting in my own reactions, my own logic, my own emotions, I am to slow down, to hear the Spirit, and trust in the way He directs me. You know, another one, just a couple of weeks ago, I started feeling this like urge to get up early in the morning to go walk in the woods so I can be alone with God. You know, a time where I can just strip it all away and say, God, thank you for giving me today. I surrender it to you. And so in doing that, I have to trust in God more than my bed. The comfort of my sleep and everything it's doing for me, I have to push myself out of bed in order to say, God, I trust you more than I trust my comfort. You know, through the Spirit, God gives us these smaller choices of who we're going to trust more all the time. If you haven't recognized any of these types of moments in the past week or two, then it's most likely because you're not aware they occur or you haven't been listening. These are given to us continually because we are continually struggling with trusting the gift over the giver. Let's go back to Abraham, see how he responds. So in the early morning light, Abraham walks forward in obedience to his God. He does not delay. With his mind set on obeying his creator, he grabs his son and his servants and they head to the mountains. Verses 3 and 4. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. You know, how could a man have such confidence in doing such a hard thing? You know, I, I don't know. You know, but through my pondering and my prayer... It seems like Abraham knew God's heart and trusted God's wisdom over his own logic and emotion. He knew God's heart and he trusted in God over his own logic and emotion. Let me kind of show you where I get this from. So verses five through eight. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. You notice that pronoun? We. He didn't say I because I've just killed my son. He said we. There's a belief that he and his son would be coming back. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac and himself, carrying the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together, Isaac and his father Abraham. Father, he said, yes, I'm here, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. You just see a little bit more, 
a little bit of insight into what Abraham is thinking and what he's believing about God. We will return. God will provide. He's not saying God already provided it. It's you. He said God will provide. You know, in Hebrews, we get a little bit more of that insight. If you wouldn't mind putting that up, Seth, so I don't have to spend the time flipping my pages. Thank you. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promise was ready to offer up his only son of whom he had been told, it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named after you. He considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You know, it seems that Abraham's confidence came from his obedience due to understanding of God's faithfulness to his promise and his power to do all things. You know, I imagine that Abraham was probably a bit confused on why God was commanding him to do such a thing. But it seems that Abraham was willing to trust God, God's perspective and wisdom on life more than he trusted his own understanding of what is good. You know, God allowed Abraham to go all the way to the point of no return. It's kind of crazy to think about what God allows us to go through. Verses 9 and on. When when they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And just imagine Abraham going through these things. Imagine you in that situation. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, saying, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. You know, God allows Abraham to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he trusted in him for the fulfillment of the promises more than he trusted in his son, that he loved God more than he loved his son. What's interesting is that God is all-knowing, right? That's what the Bible shows us. He is all-knowing, beginning to end. That means he already knew what Abraham would be willing to do to demonstrate his love and trust. So why did God have Abraham go through such an intense ordeal? God, looking at Abraham, understanding his entire life, knew just the gravity of his trust for him. But still he had him go through one of the hardest things a person can go through. You know, I believe it was for Abraham's sake. For a person's trust in God to go deeper, to be more life-directing, one has to go through the fire, the crucible, an experience that causes a person to either tangibly trust his creator or to trust himself, to trust our emotions and our logic. You know, for Abraham, this experience was most likely life-changing. You imagine the way that he walked off this mountain in his view of who God is and his power and his trust in him. You know, it's the same for us. God gives us these choices so that we can be molded by them. As we walk through these uncomfortable and outright, out at times downright painful experiences, our minds are being transformed. If you want verses for this, come and talk to me. There's so much in the New and the Old Testament about God transforming our minds, molding us as a potter molds clay. 
when we choose to trust God and obey what he is asking of us, we are changed mentally and emotionally. Take a moment to consider that. You are changed. I don't know if it's physiologically, like your brain is knit in a different way, but we are changed emotionally and mentally through these experiences, sometimes in very small ways, but other times in totally life-changing ones. We are brought closer to resembling the one in whose image we have been made. But we must remember that it is our choice. When we choose to trust the good things over God, we become more conformed to the commonness of this world. It's an important concept to consider. There is no limbo in this life. How you answer that question, who do you trust, leads you in one way or the other. There is no such thing as being able to walk in the middle ground. Every choice will push you slightly one way or the other. So why choose God in these terribly uncomfortable, awkward, and hard moments? Why choose to go down that road? Well, let's just go off of what Abraham considered. Take a moment and consider who God is and who you are. Compare his all-knowing, all-encompassing wisdom to your pea-sized brain. His universal perspective to your ant-like point of view. Now consider what God has done for you. First off, he created you. He gave you life today. He pursues you as you run from him further into a broken life. And if you've trusted him, he's redeemed your soul given you eternal life. God is good. He's so good. You look at this life, this world, you look at the text in the Bible, he is just nothing but good and he is all wise, understanding, powerful. You know, as the musicians come back up, I just want to give you an opportunity to take a little bit of time and consider the good things in your life that you may trust a little bit more than God. We got a lot of good things in our life. Take a moment and just think the things that may border on idolatry, may border on pulling your heart more than pulling your heart more towards them than towards God. And then if you're bold, Ask God to put you in a spot to test you so that way you will know whether or not you trust him or that thing more.